Hi guys, and here we are today um, at Rayon Challenge the Future podcast powered by Binance, trusted by over 90 million users in over 180 countries and regions worldwide. Binance is dedicated to increasing the freedom of money for you. Cryptocurrency is unregulated in the UK. The value of investments will can go down as well as up. Uh, profits may be subject to capital gains tax. And as you know by now, we do not offer any financial advice on this show. To learn more about Binance, follow the link in the description below. Um, and here we are today with Patrick Croneman, Verve Ventures, um, venture capitalist. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Lawrence, for having me. Uh, looking forward to having the podcast and... Yeah, I think now it's uh, it's an exciting time to discuss venture capital and um, yeah, web treatment or oh, and uh, the other topics we will cover in this podcast. Well, do, do you know what I have to say that like now more than ever, what we're seeing is huge opportunity for startup companies. It's obviously November. Um, yeah. Companies have pretty much slowed down for the year. I think it's improbable that young startups are going to raise capital as easily over the couple of months. Um, there are obviously um, VCs out there that got a lot of money parked on the sidelines, um, ready to go. Um, but again, you know, with Verve Ventures, um, what is it, what's your guys' approach? What is it that you guys are doing right now? Well, um, our main approach is that we deliver a deal by deal basis. So, uh, when we've done our curation, when we know uh, a startup that we think our investment base might really like, um, we put it on the platform and we try to raise um, well to, to the cap we have been given. So um, we also have like a fund and we are now also launching a kind of passive approach for our digital uh, investments. But mostly, yeah, when we see a, a new exciting deal, we try to offer it as is. So that gives us the flexibility to um, to bring the capital on a deal by deal basis and also for an investor to not be immediately tied to a fund or uh, to really pick the pick, pick the winners that we do the pre creation on. So where we give them a lot of flexibility. And I think that's that's a huge advantage that we offer over many other VCs. I mean, and, and I mean, in terms of like young founders picking a VC, how do they decipher which VCs they should be approaching? And how do they know the sincerity and the intentions of the VC? Because obviously, you know, and you and I can jump into this, you're giving your VCs that they're asking for a lot especially on these accelerator programs, they're not asking just for a pitch deck. They're asking, see where you're at. From experience, you know, we've done it ourselves. We've um, had a relationship with a VC, not going to say who. We had 20,000 users, you know, they've helped us. They've given us guidance throughout the whole uh, process, really the last two, three years. We've then applied for their program. Um, we, we've applied for their program they've obviously um had tons of questions they asked us we've gave about nine ten pages of um of answers that we gave a really detailed analysis um we filmed our platform we showed them everything how we got um how we got users we showed them the designs we showed them about how we make money we showed them everything and then what happened is that we got rejected and two weeks after we were rejected, 
we found that, that they had announced the winners and one of the winners was a company that was had almost exactly the same idea they were registered actually i think they're they're based in like geneva switzerland where you are um they ran a 60 million dollar fund already so th these aren't guys that are struggling to raise money for their startup um and in addition to that they you know they copied the idea they've almost used my exact words from my emails that i've had correspondence with them and from the application put them on their website they've copied the designs like they haven't even bothered to change the colors and they're presenting it as a brand new product and this is one of the largest vcs in the world like how how do young founders trust vcs and where do you draw the line where do you say actually do you know what i'm not actually prepared to um to provide you any more information from our perspective now as soon as that happened it was like april this year we said right no more applications we'll speak to vcs but obviously um use round as a tool to decipher the good vcs from the bad vcs but inevitably it's very much a case of we're not looking to raise money. We're doing it all ourselves and we're doing it through sales. And if we have a partnership um, with a, a crypto exchange or if we have a partnership with a VC, it will be something that evolves organically. It'll be something that naturally happens as opposed to us chasing them. Yeah, I, I would say finding the good guys. Um, well, First, there is, of course, the due diligence process, which you touched upon, like sending them the information, answering detailed questions. Um, for a large part, I find it understandable because they also have uh, an obligation to, to their investors. So there, there needs to be good due diligence from their side. But when trusting them, I think it should be most of all about sharing a vision and aligning interest. Um, when you go and create a relationship with a company as a VC, you generally do so for multi-years. You hope to give them uh, growth and join in the spoils after at some point. So it's, it's deciphering which VC can give you more than just money, which can give you connections, which can uh, introduce you to potential vendors or um, can give publicity or, or help you find uh, a new key exec that you want to bring on board. It's, it's not handing over just tra trade secrets equity for cash i think if that's already at the start an issue or being discussed in a very detailed manner it's it's just buying and selling it it, it does not i don't think it helps anyone because there's a startup and its founder should be motivated and that motivation and that excitement should be shared fed cultivated and that should lead to growth and I, I yeah it is a hard topic but uh, i do think at some point when you have those talks when you see the track records that some feces have um and you, you could always ask for i don't know some contacts at uh, their portfolio companies for example to, to 
really see and talk about where they added value and how their approach was. I think that's that's one of the key filters uh, a startup and a founder could use to find the good guys. I mean, but I mean, one thing I would say is that, you know, it seems like it's the bigger VCs that have the ability to take advantage the most because obviously they have, right now they have the brand name, but, you know, at this very moment, they're looking to invest in smaller companies. There's certainly uh, a methodology being applied where it's actually we've now spent the last decade funding the large organizations. Now let's you know let's look to plant some seeds. You know, no pun intended. Investing at pre-seed and seed level, um, and it's just it's very daunting to think that actually you know as a founder, especially one who, as I'm sure many have, taken huge risks, made huge sacrifices to be like, look, we're going to apply to your accelerator program. We're going to trust you. Please don't run off and steal our idea. Yeah. Because if you do, we can't do anything about it. To, to be honest, yeah, that is an issue. Uh, as, as a founder just starting, you won't have the capital, the, the legal means to, to challenge this. Uh, we don't do accelerated programs or, or anything. So we are not really in that selection. But for example, not only the large VCs, but also corporate VCs, you know they have an incentive where you as a founder and what you're building in essence that they evaluate the usefulness for for the company or, or uh, other portfolio companies that they might already have so bigger might not always be better in that case in the vc world um, they have with more capital it also means more struggle to deploy capital or uh, help build a uh, brand or protection so yeah again when, when finding the good guys in that perspective don't always go for the big brand name and yeah, that's, but, but, that's the mistake that that's definitely the mistake that we've made you know what you know like, the two positives that came out of it and there weren't many because at the time my my team were gutted when we realized yeah. like they hadn't even registered the company until two weeks after yeah. they um until two weeks after they had rejected our application. And the founder at this new company, and it's not even really his fault, kind of, but um, you know, the founder of this new company like tweeted it. So I was obviously already aware of it, um, saw what they were tweeting. And, and it's just very disconcerting, but on the positive side, it's proof of concept. It's one of the largest VCs going, actually, you're on something. You've got the right product market fit, um and in terms of like creativity they can copy my designs all they want but they haven't got our ability nowhere near and they haven't got our res resilience and a and focus to actually pull this off so you know if anything like i did actually flip it and i did turn it into um fire right as which i'm sure you look for in your founders um and you know more than anything I just went around to like JP Morgan, like people like at Morgan Stanley. And I was like, look, this is what we've done. This is what they've done. What do you think? You know? So, um, interesting. Turn it into a positive. No, it turned it into a positive. The thing that I will say is that, you know, we're 100% employee owned still. 
Um, it's something whereby I've always felt that actually the biggest mistake we can make is get investment too early on. Um, but I mean, it, in terms of uh, ventures, like what is it that you guys are trying to actually achieve right now? Because I almost have a bit of sympathy for investors right now. How do you, let, let's flip this. It's not just about, you know, how do you find the good, how do you find the good VCs? How do you find the good founders? How do you know which companies have got longevity? How do you know which companies are, are the ones that you feel that you want to back? I think uh, that is one of our strengths is basically our team consists of so many backgrounds, uh, engineers, people who worked at the large pharmaceuticals, uh, historians even. So we, we can get many perspectives and we don't hunt everything. Uh, for now, we are mainly focused on, on Europe and we have three specific verticals. So we try to apply our knowledge where, where we have it. And then of course, um, it's, it's scouting. Um, we, we track a, a large number of companies where we sometimes they also come to us, but, but, and then of course there are the following ones, but, but it's, um, it, it's having boots on the ground. Uh, we are not just in Switzerland. We have offices in Cambridge, Berlin, Paris. Uh, we have native speakers. So we also try to get the nuance, uh, with the founders. And, and that overall is that cocktail that we try to bring in. Uh, and, and then, of course, in the end, it's a vote. Do, do we want to bring it to our investors, yes or no? And that by itself is also for us a sort of wisdom of the crowd that over the years we, we've seen uh, which ones do get the backing of our investor base. Um, which which is also really broad at the mo uh, at the moment with uh, individuals from a lot of specific fields and experts. So bringing that all together, we think we now have a right system and a quite good field feel to when to bring a seed round or a, or a series C, for example, where you already, of course, have more proof of concept. Sure. I mean, I, I mean, and in terms of your background, I mean, how have you ended up at Verve? Like, what, what, what were you doing before? And, you know, or is, or is it something that you've kind of just naturally um, gravitated into? Uh, it, yeah, let, let's call it a, a gravitational glide into VC for me personally. Um, I, I was educated journalist, but in the end uh, ended up within private banking and uh, the uh, investment side of things at uh, ING, Dutch Bank. And after that, I went over into uh, pensions for ABB in Switzerland and pension management. It's basically the opposite of VC where it's slow, cloggy um, and well, less exciting, less risk-taking. And that for me at some point also got me thinking like, I prefer a more hands-on approach. And uh, and I think the, the world of VC startups, alternatives, it's that, that's the area that for me is gonna be where investments and the investment world is, it's the most exciting part for the next 
quarter century. What is it that's what is it that's so exciting about it? Uh, I think we now have the tools to really quickly uh, scale up. Uh, of course, internet uh, has made it more easy. We see global harmonization on tax, on regulation, and all these kinds of things. Um, for example, the pandemic also made it more easier to, to have more teams remote. And we see all these things combine, making it faster, making it more, uh, yeah, more exciting to be in, in VC. You can also see it in, in the public markets. The age of the average listed company has just gone down and down and down. So the age of the average, because yeah, uh, average company, uh, because there is so much disruption. You constantly need to be at the forefront of the startups, the founders, the new ideas, because for an established company, it do, it hasn't to be twenty years old to be a dino anymore. Now it can be ten years, and it might be five years. That constant innovation, that constant drive, the, the pace at which things are happening has accelerated, and that makes VC the forefront of it. Cool. And if you combine that with the general allocation uh, to alternatives, that has grown. So there is also way more capital available to support those ideas, and that that combination makes it really exciting. I've got to say, I'm also speaking to a lot of people now who want to become VCs. You know, I think that, and it's interesting, you mentioned your background or where you started out really was in like journalism. Yeah. Who are the people that are actually working in the VC world now? Because again, I swear, and I'm pretty showing my age here. When I started out, they all came from like maths backgrounds, science backgrounds. There are a lot of like kids I went to university with that studied chemistry. Yeah. They ended up becoming VCs. Um, but that seems to be changing. Yeah, I, I would say it's less the pure beta sciences, beta studies, but it, it can also be, like I already said, like a historian. Uh, background, I would say it's not that it's the most relevant topic. Um, you must understand what the founder is. You must understand the concept. And it's a broader framework than mm, is given in most courses. Of course, there are the economics, the, the business fundamentals behind it. But especially with, with early stage deals, uh, there is going to be cash burn. So uh, the economical perspective, the earlier is less relevant, but knowing if uh, for example, in biotech, if if like something could work, if you have that background, that understanding, that could make you a good fit. And I, I think that that you really have people from the field, from the specific uh, backgrounds who can also apply it to VC. I think that is something that has happened and will most likely continue to happen. So if you are an expert or also, if you are a generalist and can apply it to, to um, the, the right set of tools and subsects, that then you can end up in VC. And I mean, and I mean, in terms of the companies that need VCs, um, 
when I tell you that we're 100% employee-owned, <clears throat> does that sound ridiculous to you? Do you think that actually these guys should be out there raising capital um, and that they're making it far, like you said, because you mentioned about having to constantly innovate, which I completely agree with, that costs money. Yeah. Great developers, computer scientists, all cost money. People with high levels of emotional intelligence are certainly required now more than ever. They're far more in demand. Um, everything comes back to needing money. Is it a mistake for companies like ours to not be going out there and going, actually, let's give up X percent of our business and getting and building that bridge with a with a VC like yourselves? Um well, that's a tough one. I do think bootstrapping, staying out, uh, has its merits. Um, it gives you more control. Uh, also, VCs require reporting. Uh, there's the hassle of the fundraising, the effort spent on all that side of things, which might uh, make the focus on the product and the company itself uh, less so. So there is there are some certainly reasons that justify staying just completely honest but on the other side there is like what can a VC bring um and of course that's capital capital can can make things easier but it's no answer to all uh it doesn't mean you will get extra innovation or anything but it can help you speed up a certain growth tra trajectory it can also give access to a certain type of experts for example that the the vc has in its network or extra vendors extra promotion so i, I would say if the balance of the package that a vc can bring uh, exceeds what what it's uh, what the merits are of staying just by yourself without a VC. If those balance it to one side of the scale, then it's worth it. But I think that's that's largely a decision that at each startup, each founder must decide on its own. And it's not purely economical or, or drawing lines or, or projecting fi financials or or anything. But it's also a feeling. Uh, some people like the feeling of owning everything themselves it's, and some people want to go together or are uncertain how they might scale or, or anything and it's it's like balancing those two so yeah yeah i will say one thing actually doing the podcast with dozens of like vc firms private equity firms i think it's actually inadvertently become a good basis for when we do raise money you know, yeah. we certainly have the relationships. Um, and, you know, and the funny thing is, is, like, doing the podcast, you get to you get to know people. You actually get to discuss, like, what, what their companies are about, what they're about. Um, in fact, yeah, I was, I was literally just writing to one, one of the bigger VCs, but probably one of the le less known big VCs, as, you know, um, that are out there. And you know, they're doing some amazing stuff. They really are. Like, um, there's multiple verticals. And like you say, it's not about just throwing money at a company or it doesn't have to be right it's about having that communication that support you know access to sales but that is one thing that you know that irritates me i think that founders need to take far more responsibility um in terms of actually being the ones to just sell just go out there and sell your products 
you know yeah. because the, the, the what happens is and i think particularly at the early stage when you sell your product your clients or customers actually end up doing research for you that's it they yeah. tell you what they like what they don't like what they would love to see on the platform i sometimes get emails going hey guys have you ever considered this great you know i mean but speaking about culture, company culture and people, what's it like working um, at Verve? Uh, I, I would say really, really nice. Uh, coming from several corporate roles before this, it, it's definitely more dynamic, more flat in the organization. You, you can walk up to, to anyone. Uh, you can have a beer in the afternoon uh, if you like. The, the offsite this year in the was... office. In the office, yes. Oh, nice, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, that's very and cool. And we do things like we promote um, shadowing someone for, for for a while or going to the other offices. Uh, so it, it's really really pleasant to, to be around the, the people you work with also outside the office and i think that that's a huge benefit and uh from the pictures that show up on our internal slack channels uh, with the with the founders of our portfolio companies uh, our portfolio companies tend to agree uh, i often see raised glasses there so um yeah, I, I think that that's one of the best thing. Uh, we are also largely still owned by, by uh, the founders and the employees. So um, that really also is a motivation to, to go the extra mile and uh, feeling that you're doing it for more than just your salary. And, uh, yeah, you, you want to see the, the company succeed and first succeed. And that, that's a drive you really notice with everyone. See, that, that, that's the nice thing. And I think that actually, given our experience, you know, we probably haven't seen that. You know, I, I've, I've, I've um, spent a lot of time with the big US VCs who are, you know, they're very scientific in their methodology, as, as they should be, rightfully so. But it is very, very binary. You know, it's, we just, we, we invest this capital. We might provide other additional resources but you either sink or you swim. Um, there's no real emotional connection towards the actual company or the people in that company. So, and, and I think actually going back to our first earlier point, that's something that is actually like quite nice to hear, you know, that it's a nice work environment and it's people that want to see the investments do well. Yeah, it, it feels like it's, uh, well, we are at it like 12 or 13 years now, but it still feels like a startup itself where you're constantly like upgrading it system and thinking of new innovative products and by by acting and being in such a way ourselves i think that really makes us uh yeah connectable for, for, for the founders and i think that's one of the advantages that helped us grow how, how many people are in the company uh, we are just over 50 at the moment so yeah and okay. grow and growing oh good that's not good to hear um especially now actually um but i mean look, i've got i've got to come on to this for obviously you know rayon it's a fintech and blockchain community um a lot of a lot of pitch decks are floating about i get sent a lot um which is ironic because i was never actually the best at pitch decks um what makes a good pitch deck what do you want to see is you know 
how how long should it be um what don't you want to to see in it um well first of all i think if it's like uh, a resume in, in general people uh, or they they don't look it at edits or in general not that much assuming you don't have uh, have had a lot of prior contacts with, with the person sending to you so i think it should be first of all to the point it, it should be easily visible why your product service is in demand how it helps your customers uh, what what's the goal how does it what makes it better than what's already out there is it can you produce cheaper will it be like a medicine with less side effects well that that, that would be a really later stage but you you but, but it's, it's cheaper thing cheap sorry like you mentioned cheaper sorry to jump in like, like when you see cheaper on a pitch deck you go they're on something here or this is they, they've got the right way of thinking if you for example have a, a, a production uh, methods which for example would make ev uh, more cheaper to produce produce then yeah it is a, a major competitive advantage so generally when people think about cheaper they think about huge scale uh, might not be qualitative uh, equal to a more expensive product but yeah if you can have something a defined process or, or a way of doing something, distributing something that is cheaper, then yeah, cheaper is in general always a competitive advantage, is, uh, which you can use. I, 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 I get cheaper is always a competitive advantage, but as, as a VC, is it something where you go, okay, fine, like, like, because when I think cheaper, I think, oh, do you know, if you, if you try and win on price, you're going to have a thousand competitors like in terms of what you're doing like with us and maybe I've got the wrong approach like you know you know better than I do but I've always gone for very very small markets that I thought are just going to grow really rapidly so in terms of what we're doing when I speak to the crypto exchanges when I speak to blockchain companies nft companies they're like nice have you know we haven't come across anyone doing what you're doing and it, again, in terms of like marrying that up with like our go-to-market strategy, it just makes it far easier to get sales. Uh, I agree. For example, a, a niche can be uh, very relevant and uh, growing in a nice niche. If you become like one or two players within a niche, that, that will most likely mean that no other competitors will likely come in and yeah, that, that's, that's something that can be amazing. For example, we have a company that digitizes flight manuals for pilots. Very specific, very much of a niche. Hey, very niche. But if you have something in such a niche and it gets adopted by, by the large airlines, for example, you have a really good product and a really good company. So, um, yeah, it's, it's also knowing what you want to achieve and uh, how you envision it. And yes, sometimes being the first, being in a niche and dominating a niche is even more important than just being cheap. Yeah, I, I, I think for me, I, I, th I, think, I think, yes, I like niche areas, but I think that it has to be a niche area, which I just think is just going to like just go through the roof. But I mean, and, and in terms of like... Um, 
what you don't want to see on page tech. So I assume you kind of want to see the team, meet the team page. You want to see like their uh, sales projections. Um, Even though well, they're made up. Uh, sales projections are often made, made up and always. always, always more rosy. Well, not always you have those that succeed, but in general, they are very rosy at the start. I'm always super negative. Genuinely, I've got an attitude of sell the nightmare with everything. But I, I think in general, you don't want to have the focus on the numbers at that stage, but more like what are achievable milestones, uh, get a sense of how you want to achieve those growth. For example, if is it getting uh, an approval to operate in another market, for example? Yeah, of course you can put it in and dealing with regulatories, uh, it, it can be later, earlier, but having such a sense of direction, uh, it, I would say is more important than projecting some numbers uh, of sales, which may or may not materialize. So I ask everyone this, I'm gonna ask you the same question. How do you value a startup? Um, well, there are several approaches, of course, um, and I do think there is not a single measure measure to do so. Uh, of course, you have like the ARR, uh, ARR growth, um, but for example, coming back to niches, if you know a specific market and you can dominate a specific market, then on basis on the market and uh, market share you can also uh, put like a uh, multiple on it so i would say it is a very imprecise slash artistic science to, to put uh, to put evaluation on there um, and also because when you see if there will be multiple uh, financing rounds uh, for, or uh, bridge rounds convertibles conversions there is also like a tactical element in play. Um, so at the end of the day, you need to put down a number, but yeah, it, it's hard to define, but in general, when you have a sense of direction and what a company could be, then yeah, you can land between the margins to, to, to get like a, a reasonable midpoint. Oh, I, do you know what? I'm completely baffled by the um, by how how startups are are valued. Um, like we see some valuations, and and I I, I don't need, I, I just do it more just to test the market, see where we're at, um, and also gauge like uh, VCs' attitudes um, because we will at some point we're going to need to get investment right yeah. if we want to scale as fast as we plan to. Um, yeah. Like some will be like, oh, you know, you should be raising at a 10 million valuation. Others will say dot dollars, 10 million, everything is always talking dollars, 10 million dollar valuation, seven million dollar valuation, five million dollar valuation. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, these are two VCs. One is valuing the business at double the price. And then you see, I don't know, have you ever seen anything like um Shark Tank or Dragon's Den? I have seen so. Okay, so I was talking to like um, uh, Pegasus Tech Ventures recently about this. Um, and 
it's just um it's just amazing because you know like there's there's a guy on the british one who uh peter jones and he's just like very like realistic and when people come on with these stupid valuations he's just like he destroys them not in a rude way but he destroys them right um and i think that what's happened is that we've been looking at this culture what's going on in america where people go on shark tank they're like yeah i'm valuing my business at 30 million dollars like, what have you got in sales they're like oh we've got a few hundred grand in sales but 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 right yeah. and and it's kind of like been adopted all around the world because who, do, who doesn't want to say their business is worth like 20 30 million you know You're or 200 200 million yeah personally um yeah i, I assume you also have seen like uh, discounted cash flow valuations and for example if, if you change a few numbers the end result can be very different capital has been plenty and really cheap the, the last 10 15 years and people have taken the concept margin of safety which is mostly applied to like value investing but should also be to a certain extent to growth companies uh, pc yeah. basically they've turned that concept largely out of the window over the last couple of years and that leads that for example if you assume slightly different growth rates or cost of capital to a wide of rate of a wide array of valuations and that's something that's that's seen in the markets uh also the pc markets and yet you get baffled at at what valuations get thrown up at so but when when you get to that series b series c like you must like look like the price to sales ratio and that's something that i was always like taught and something i've always kind of focused on if i'm going to buy a public company right i'm going to look at the price to sales ratio um and i'm kind of i'm going to use that as a gauge um as to and i you know i'll also look at their sales growth um at what point does that become important for a vc is that at series a um well in the end, um, like series A, B, C, de depending on, on the company, uh, most cases, bottom line will, in that case, still be negative. So, so you, you are looking like, how is the revenue, is, is it recurring? Uh, feces love sticky revenue, uh, or inv investment-based love sticky revenue. So th that's, that's the first uh, positive or not and then of course the growth rate and uh, the inflection point at which point there will be cash on the table no further finance around or significant dilution so when you can kind of create a cross intersect on, on that then uh, at that point those numbers become more and more relevant i get you i get you um and uh, Again, in terms of uh, founders, there I'm sure there are many out there right now sitting at home, um, writing their applications, like emailing VCs. What would be your advice for founders overall who are just like starting out their own business? Um, something that I find noticeable that in general founders, uh, they really have the concept of, of the of the product and might not necessarily be the, the salesperson. Um, 
and that often then translates into a very technical, technocratical piece. But try to simplify your idea. If you can explain it within uh, a few sentences, of course that does not go for anyone. But try to try to simplify it as much as possible. Like why is it a good idea? Um, and then it's an easier sell to, to not only VCs but also potential customers because often these people are not the natural salespersons and that's well, the founders also, are not the natural salesperson often they are not really no we uh, often they are more they know the product they, they have a passion for, for for the product and selling is de definitely a different skill it's also some of the when scaling up it's it's an area where they often uh could use a, a bit of a hand to, to get like the right sales team going uh, along with HR. That, that, that's that's later stage, but but first when you want to introduce yourself, your concept, simplify it. I, I, I would say, of course, you must tell why it's it's better, why it's a good idea, but don't get into the nitty gritty details. Interesting. It's funny, I've always taken the view that the founder, whether they're a tech guy or not, they need to be able to go, go out there and sell. Oh, sorry, they should be out there selling it. Uh, yes, they should. Uh, I would say most often the guys that can do so, they have definitely a higher chance of receiving funding because, so, yeah, sell or be sold. And um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just think you know, and and again, you know, if you if you met like Jan, you know, he's not at all salesy, at all. Like he's a computer scientist, he could still sell this product. You know, I, I you know, I've sent him to like also Amazon. He's gone to meetings, right? And you know, he's able to generate interest. He's able to get sales because he's passionate about the product. And I think that actually, there's no one that will ever be able to convey that passion in the way that the founders do. That, that's my preference, my, my personal opinion. But uh, Verve Ventures, um, you, know, you mentioned there's a lot of focus on Europe right now. Um, um, what What is the future? What's the future for you guys? What, what are the next steps? Um, well, at the moment, uh, we are at the moment launching for Digital One, which is uh, our passive solution for our digital offerings for, for the next year. So. We are looking into generating like ranges for people to be in a certain vertical of us. Say biotech will most likely come at some point. We hope. Uh, well, we we are still and will always be hustling to to get in the next amazing deal. Uh, that will continue. Um, most likely, we will have the second closing of our funds the the coming quarters. So we are still definitely fastly growing and um, yeah, where we try to be boots on the ground and just bring the best deals and, and see how we can scope up. Well, look, looking forward to uh, seeing what you guys, what you guys do next. And uh, yeah, um, it's, it's certainly an interesting time for VCs and there's definitely a lot of very good founders out there building some really cool products. So, yeah, uh, Patrick, great to have you with us today. So th thank you very, very much for your time.
likewise and uh, thanks again lawrence for having me great to see you and guys make sure um you check out uh, uh the ventures page on the round platform also be sure to check out binance.com and uh yeah speak to you guys soon thanks <laughs>